The Green Party believes by voting yes to regulate cannabis at this referendum, we can leave the chaos of prohibition behind and make New Zealand Aotearoa a safer country for us all. Green Party drug reform spokesperson Chloe Swarbrick says the choice is clear. Continue to empower an unregulated black market or implement control, restrict access for kids and create duties of care. Chloe Swarbrick joins me now. Good morning to you. Morena, Kerry. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. My concern is why would we introduce another drug that can cause harm? What we're talking about here, Kerry, is not about inventing cannabis. Um, I can't say that I have the powers to do that. Yeah. Uh, but what I can say is that we've tried for the past 40 years to prohibit cannabis uh, through criminalisation and prohibition, and actually we've seen it flourish in the shadows. So fundamentally, I think that people on the pro-prohibition side, i.e. that retaining the status quo where we continue to see this flourish in the shadows, or those who are pro-legalisation and control that being implementing some regulations and framework around it, fundamentally have the same starting point. That is that this substance can cause harm. If we agree on that, the grown-up conversation progresses in the direction of, okay, so what is the best way to reduce that harm? Under Prohibition, we've continued to see usage and we've continued to see potency increase, as well as 4,000-odd convictions per year for low-level cannabis offences, which obviously clog up time in our criminal justice system that could be far better spent on other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously, that also costs a huge amount that could be better invested in health, for example. Uh, Whereas we have the opportunity through uh, legal regulation to create a semblance of control, that being restriction of access, but also obviously the flow of taxation revenue into that education and that help support for people who are experiencing problems with the substance, which right now is happening in the shadows, but we are not dealing with it as we should be. And I fundamentally believe that Kiwis are pragmatists. And if we engage in this conversation in a pragmatic way, then the evidence is overwhelmingly pointing towards taking this issue out of the shadows, putting it into the light and putting some controls around it. When it comes to the mental health issues, we accept that there are going to be some people for whom this drug reacts badly, and for them it is very bad news. When it comes to the idea of putting the money into rehabilitation and into mental health treatment, that's fantastic. But as I understand it, a lot of DHBs are underspending their mental health budgets because the professionals simply are not there to provide the services. And fundamentally, Kerry, I think we need to recognise again that this stuff is already happening under prohibition, but we only are getting a semblance of the tip of the iceberg. Look, I have consistently faced, I think primarily because of the assumptions people can make about me as obviously a Green Party MP, but also as somebody who is younger, I'm 25 years old, I've been on Talkback Radio before where I've been told I know nothing because I don't have children, I haven't seen the harm that this substance can cause. You know, I want to go full and frank on the record and say that I had a flatmate take his life as a result of using uh, cannabis and escalating into harder substances. Actually, the gateway drug is prohibition, pushing people into the shadows where they continue to self-isolate and aren't able to access help.
And we would have the same kind of issues as you saw in the 1930s and the alcohol prohibition when substances got harder, gangs got control of it and violence and criminality escalated around the substance. When you want to talk about mental health, we know that the major driving factors as reflected in the government's mental health and addiction inquiry of both mental ill health and substance abuse and dependency and also actually all forms of addiction, whether you're talking about substances, whether you're talking about gambling or pornography, come basically from two major things. It is isolation and trauma. Being an addict is not a nice life. It is essentially a form of escapism and filling a hole uh, which requires kind of remedy. And people are uh, searching for something there and where they're not finding it in legitimate means, they are searching for that substance or, you know, whether it's alcohol or cannabis or something far harder. So actually the best way to... uh, solve all of this problem is to take this issue out of the shadows to say, hey, look, if you are abusing these substances, that is a symptom. And it may actually also be self-medication. So we need to instead take a far more pragmatic approach and solve the core issue, which is the trauma or the underlying problems that people are having in terms of homelessness, lack of job opportunity or otherwise. But I'll tell you the way that you definitely don't solve the problem, slapping somebody with a conviction which pushes them further into the shadows, disables them from greater opportunity in terms of travel, in terms of jobs, in terms of education. But that's simply not happening. The police are taking a softly, softly approach, especially with younger people, because they do not want them to become part of the court system. So two things to note in that. Firstly, there are 4,000 convictions for low-level cannabis offences, and I would note that this is with wraparound stuff, but that's what happens when you end up having to source cannabis from the underground black market, is that you get caught up in a bunch of criminality that you could avoid if it were legal and regulated. Uh, So there are 4,000 low-level cannabis convictions per year, and we are spending right now millions of dollars pouring it into a black hole, taxpayer money that could be better invested in health, education or otherwise uh, into maintaining prohibition and that is not just in the criminal justice system. It's also with police uh, kind of helicopter raids throwing uh, what you would have seen if you watch Paddy Gower's documentary that kind of blue dye over cannabis crops up in Northland. There are better ways to do this and we have seen it. But that's the commercial growers, that's not an individual person who's just having a quiet joint at the end of a hard week. And again, this is the thing, is that if you fundamentally believe that it's all good that 4,000 people per year are being convicted, then, I mean, for sure, absolutely, continue to uphold prohibition. But if you would like to see all people treated as adults and you are uncomfortable with the reality that certain people are being treated differently under the criminal justice system in order for us to uphold this bizarre bizarre mythology around cannabis, then sure, go ahead. But I also think that at the end of the day, we end up kind of embroiled in this conversation where people think that the debate around the legalisation and control of cannabis is about whether we should invent cannabis. I'm sorry, but the cat is out of the bag there. Cannabis has existed for thousands of years. We have tried to prohibit it for more than 40 years. And instead of quashing it, we have seen it flourish in the shadows. 
and we have an opportunity to get a sense of control there. And I think that most Kiwis fundamentally, when they really think through the reality that right now their kids, whether you know whether you're 15 or 50 in this country, if you want to get your hands on cannabis tomorrow, it's highly likely that you can. But you have no idea um, what the background of that substance is, what the potency of it is, what it'll do to you, or where you can access help if you need it. So why aren't we implementing those controls if we recognise that that's the reality? right now. When it comes to the five-year review, how likely is it that any government will say, you know what, this hasn't worked, let's shut it down? I think that if you look at the experience from jurisdictions overseas, particularly in Canada, uh, which has something, a kind of framework which is somewhat similar to ours, as though they have gone a little bit more free market and do have differences of controls within different states, uh, it is that youth use had has lowered and also that they have increased their tax take, which has enabled them in turn to invest in education and in health and in turn lower problematic usage. So I think what we'll see with that uh, kind of review period is that we will continue to refine this in order to reflect the principles that are upheld within the legislation itself. And that's all available for the general public on referendums.govt.nz. It's a bit controversial that we went for referendums, not referenda. (laughs) But it is referendums.govt.nz. And the bill's fundamental purpose, uh, that being the draft law that the New Zealand public will vote on, is to reduce cannabis-related harm to individuals, family, whānau and communities, which is ultimately about providing access to legal cannabis, so not requiring people to come into contact with the criminal underground, eliminating the illegal supply, raising awareness of health risks associated and restricting young people's access to cannabis. The bottom line is drug dealers do not check ID. When you implement a legal duty of care that is required to be upheld in order to maintain a license, then you have standards, regulation, consumer guarantees and protections, and in turn we are able to uphold a higher code of conduct for the people who are selling this substance. So if it's for the good of the individual, if it's for the good of the country, why don't we then legalise all drugs? If we made meth legal, then, you know, so on that basis... Would they would be able to control it, would be able to control the supply, would be able to ensure the quality of it. Now, this is a really important distinction. When we're talking about cannabis, we are talking about a substance that actually ranks far lower than alcohol on the harm scale. When you're talking about other substances, there are absolutely better approaches that we could be taking other than just locking people up and throwing away the keys. Because fundamentally, the point remains that nobody who is an addict benefits from just being thrown in jail. We need to continue to solve those fundamental problems that have led them to needing to fill a hole in themselves. So when you're talking about things like methamphetamine, you're talking about heroin, you are talking about those harder drugs. When you're talking about a semblance of control, legalisation is not about throwing open the floodgates and just throwing these substances from the rooftops, putting them on sale or anything like that. If you want to look at, for example, what uh, Sweden did when they, in 1990, did a groundbreaking move in legalising heroin in response to the heroin crisis, they did not go, hey, we're going to sell this stuff. They said people who have 
heroin addictions should be coming into their doctors, they should be receiving a prescription, they should be provided with wraparound services that get them a home, that make sure that they have job opportunities or education opportunities if they need that. And hey presto, do you know what happens? Uh, Moving from one of the worst uh, countries with regard to poor stats in the heroin department, that being uh, people who were dying literally in the streets, which is what moved their president to implement these measures, the kind of heroin overdose death and other associated violence and criminality, they moved towards some of the lowest addiction rates in Europe. And that was all through a different form or a different model away from prohibition, taking this issue out of the shadows and putting it into the light. So I really just want to premise that when people are talking really kind of ad hoc about, oh, let's just throw open the floodgates, that's not even what I'm advocating for here when it comes to cannabis. When we're talking about cannabis legalisation and control, we're talking about something more stringent than alcohol, because that's another argument that is regularly right, And raised. we won't go into that one right now. We'll have plenty of time leading up to September. But just finally, how does this fit with the smoke-free Aotearoa? That is a great question, Kerry. Thank you for asking it. That fits with the smoke-free Aotearoa, because do you know how we got anywhere near close to smoke-free Aotearoa 2025? It was through legal regulation of tobacco. If we had tobacco prohibited, it would continue to flourish in the shadows and we would have absolutely no control mechanisms. That would be no ability to educate people, no ability to change, for example, tax levers on it, no ability to change where it was sold or to whom it was sold to. Again, drug dealers don't check ID. So when you legally regulate cannabis, you have the ability to move all of those levers to do something like reduce usage. When you push it into the shadows, you have absolutely no control and it is effectively bedlam. Prohibition, the status quo is chaos. What we are proposing is cannabis legalisation and control. It is the pragmatic way to get this problem out of the shadows into light and deal with it like grown-ups. Thank you, Chloe Swarbrick, Green MP, Chloe Swarbrick, who is also the Green Party Drug Reform Spokesperson. Paula Bennett is dead again. She's Deputy Leader of the National Party. She's dead again the idea of uh, legalising some cannabis possession, and she will be joining us after 10. We have until September to listen to arguments, to make submissions, to make up our minds as to whether or not we think it would be a good idea to legalise cannabis. Derek Cheng, as I mentioned in my opener, um, has a very good piece in the New Zealand Herald, nzherald.co.nz, that says, the big question is not whether you think cannabis is good or bad, or whether you think there should be a world without cannabis or not. The big question is, would the proposed framework be better than the status quo at minimising cannabis-related harm? Will the legislation lead to more or less cannabis use? In particular, how will it affect those most harmed by cannabis? So those are the questions he says we need to ask, and I think that's a a very good point. It's not about whether you agree with people smoking dope or not. It's about whether you think the legislation would improve things for society or not. Now, we heard from Chloe Swarbrick, who's the Green Party spokesperson on drug policy, Hearing now from Paula Bennett, who is National's Drugs Policy Spokesperson. Good morning, Paula. Good morning. So as it stands, do you believe the the legislation would improve New Zealand or would it cause more harm? 
Yeah, I, I was just listening to you and then I just thought, wow, I really agree. That's kind of the question. It's not whether you, not whether you like marijuana or not, not whether you know. I think it's totally whether or not you think that it would um, harm minimalisation and, uh, and and what it will do for society. Yeah. And so, so I would say um, I I can't see a case for how it would improve it. So I get I don't think that people should be criminalised for um, personal use. So they've already made changes uh, to that in legislation and actually I probably would be open to, to, to a bit more of that. I can't see how giving an 18-year-old a criminal conviction for um, you know low levels of, of trying cannabis is, is helping mm. society or that individual at all. So, so I, don't, I don't think the current status quo, if you like, kind of works either. But I can't see how legalising it throughout New Zealand. And in that context, you know, the best that they can come up with as far as examples from over overseas is that it's no worse um, but then there's definitely cases where we can see in some, and we've got a declining youth population using cannabis, yes. I think that's fantastic, mm. why yeah. wouldn't we stick with that, why are we going to risk it you know, why would you risk going so normalisation would be my first thing um, it's So you think it's sending hand. a message to young people that it's okay to smoke dope. I mean, I know for a fact that when I was young and first started in broadcasting when I was 17, I didn't smoke dope when I was offered it because I knew I'd lose my job and it was against the law. Yeah, so I do. I definitely think um, that, that although there's a bit of rebellious in some of us as teenagers, there's equally those people that want to obey the law and the message that legalisation sends and that kind of normalisation, I think, is a real risk. I also saw in Canada when I was there that almost overnight after legalising, the the discussion went to if it's okay if, if actually this drug is no more harmful or, or is less harmful in some cases I would argue than, than alcohol, mm. why shouldn't it be liberalised like alcohol is? So we, you know, even though it's very restrictive what they're discussing um, as far as the legislation, there was this absolute call for it to be more liberalised. So more access to it, more stores where you could purchase it, um, more competition in the market. And you could just see that that was already within 12 months. It was 12 months later that I was there. You could already see that liberalisation. So even though they start strong, you can see what's happened with alcohol over the decades. It has just opened up and up and up. And I think the call would come there. And then it's it's just all of that, um, you know, just, just the harms that cause. We haven't sorted out drug driving in this country. So more people die with drugs in their system now on our roads than alcohol. We've got workplace Usually it's a combination of both, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And mm. that's where it gets really dangerous because often um, people will have a joint after or with a with a beer or with a drink, you know, so then they've got no idea of what their impairment is and we haven't got the right testing to be absolutely sure of, of what's happening on our roads. Just on what you were saying about Canada, as I understand it, the people, the biggest uptake of uh, smoking cannabis in Canada once it was legalised was amongst the boomers. Yeah, it's the over 40-year-old yeah. and mainly male. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely, and I um, and I socialised and met guys that were just like you know, I'd, uh, you know, doing all sorts of stuff, and they'd say, oh, well, uh, yeah, I'll meet for a drink, and then they turn up and go, no, you know, I'm not having a drink. I had a joint before I came, or I ate a cookie, and so I'm um, doing that, and I just, you know, I must admit, I found it really weird. But um, so the young but, people yeah. themselves weren't saying, yay, it's normalised, I can take it up. It's the old stoners from the Woodstock days, or or slightly. 
slightly younger than that, saying, okay, great, now it's legal, I don't have to worry about the fuzz. Mm. So the um, the youth uptake was about the same. So, you know, but then again, it's still highly, and there they've gone as hard, if not harder, than what our government is proposing to do as far as those under 20 um, selling to them or giving it to them or anything else. They went really, really hard on that. So if they are taking it, it's still illegal, they're not going to report it. You know, so so you just don't know the reporting stats of the under 20-year-olds, if you like. But no, those 40-plus, they don't view them. Into it like robbers' dogs. (laughs) So... Have you been ambivalent about where you stand on this or have you been, are you quite clear in your opinion? So when it first sort of started coming up, I just don't, I didn't have this moral, um, I'm so anti and you know what I mean? Like no drugs, you know, I mean, gosh, I've got a past. I, you know, we've, we've all got family, we've all got friends. I sit in no judgment. And I, so, so in that respect, I was fairly, I'm very liberal, right? You know, it's like I really don't care if my neighbour um, has a joint. I'd rather that, that teenagers weren't because I worry about the whole, you know, what it's doing to their little brains um, as they're still developing. But, um, you know, individual choice, I'm big on that. And, and then it's the more I've looked into it, the more I've become really concerned. So now I'm a definite no. Mm-hmm. I'm a definite no. And not for the moral reasons, but I can't see any good and I get that we want to um, you know we want to we want to minimize harm and I and I get that people shouldn't be getting criminal convictions so let's fix that it feels like we said that is the problem and we've leapt to this but they're not but really yeah. I mean you know an eight a 17 year old who's picked up with a tiny little mm. joint in their pocket is not going through the courts and I no, don't think, even think they were in my day no they're not mm. Mm. Oh my goodness, I was out doing a police run about five years ago, I've got to say, you know, doing yeah. the sort of midnight to four in the morning and, you know, there's a parked car and we pulled up next to it. I'll never forget because I was in the passenger seat and of course the passenger seat was right next to the driver, you know, because yeah. of how we, we pulled up next to them. And um, and so, the, you know, in the, in the police car, the, the cop says, put your window down. So I had my window down and, and the driver put his down. I, I swear, Kerry, I nearly got stoned sitting there with the whoff of, you know, yeah. <laughs> that came out of this closed car. You know, yeah. and the cop went, guys, and and he goes, you know, you know what you're going to have to do is you have to ring someone to come pick you up because all I really care about is you're not driving like that, mate. Yeah. You know, and um, and as we pulled away, I said to him, oh, you know, like, and, and, and he goes, oh, what a waste of time, you know, like arresting them, and we just wouldn't do that, and you know, like, um, oh, we're safety first, and we just don't want them driving impaired, you know, yeah. and I just, yeah, as you say, they just they don't lock them up now. The ones that are um, getting a conviction is because they're recidivists and they're more or less blowing the smoke in policemen's faces and, you know, daring them to. But, you know, I'm sure we can sort of fix that too. The workplace. Um, I've got a text here saying, I'm in the forestry industry. We've made strenuous efforts to stamp out drug use. Random workplace testing is one method used. Our industry is dangerous enough without having possible drug-impaired workers. Yeah, what's really, um, well, one of the surprises in the last few months has been uh, the drug testing agencies, um, most of whom are sort of ex-cops that have gone into this and are going out and doing that testing, mm. as they say, actually, it'd be quite good for our business if it's legalised, but man, we see the harms, we see what's happening in workplaces, we don't want it legalised. And then there's the productivity stuff as well. I mean, God, we all know stoners from school. Mm. And, you know, and here I'm 50, uh, one, 51, I've just turned. So here we are, you know, here I am, 35 years later kind of stuff, 
and those that were um, those that were consuming regularly on a you know daily or every second day and that sort of thing, they don't go on to live great productive good lives. Yes, you know, but it you does must know too that there are high powered professionals who still use cannabis as their drug of choice as opposed to say alcohol or with it, who are highly yeah. effective and highly functioning. They're not all yep. the cliched stoner. No, I think it's those that, um, but there's definite evidence that the younger you take it up, and it's a different strain now, so it's a lot stronger, and the regularity. So mm-hmm. it is though it is those three things combined. Um, and over 40, um, having a, a, a joint twice a week, is, as you said, I don't think there's going to be any, any effects from that as far as what's happening with them. Yeah. All right, thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Well, I suppose I just also hope that the public gets into the debate. You know, I'm just so now worried that we're, you know, less than five months away from them making this really important decision. I've got to say, the public meetings that I've held this um, year on on drug reform mm. have been the best attended I've ever had, and I'm, and people go along to hear other people's opinions. You yeah. know, uh, and I'm just like, oh, they're not going to, you know, will they get that opportunity? And um, well, we were wondering yeah. that. Do you think it should be extended out? Oh, I mean, in an ideal world, yes, but then I also think, well, we've sort of come so far and I suppose the discussion is happening, so I'm a bit 50-50 on it. I just do hope that people get to really engage, and I know a lot really liked coming along to a meeting, and because um, I let every, I only do about a third of it, and two-thirds is really the audience, you know, yeah. and you can see a big undecided wanting to hear the arguments. Yeah, well, I yeah, I tend to flip and flop depending on who's speaking. You know, if they're articulate and persuasive for one side or the other, then I'm like, oh, yes, good point. And then uh, back I go. Mm. And then go home, hopefully, and have the conversation around the dinner table as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of it's a big decision. It is. It is a big decision. And, you know, other people were saying, well, you know, this is the government's um, job to, to make legislation. They should be doing it. But... You, know, you can imagine the screams if it hadn't gone out to a referendum. Yeah, I think the people, I mean, if it had to come this way, then I, you know, I just wish we were spending all this time on um, actually talking about methamphetamine and the harms that it's causing mm. and, and how we can get rid of that in our society. I'm yeah. not sure that cannabis is the, is the biggest problem. No, I agree. Thank you so mm. much for your time, Paula Bennett, Deputy Leader for National and National's Drug Policy Spokesperson. We heard Chloe Swarbrick in the first hour, and that was um, Chloe was definitely voting yes for the legalisation of cannabis in the referendum. Paula Bennett, no. Love to hear your views. 0800 80 10 80.